One moment with the king changes everything. We've been talking about God's providence and how God has organized, superintended our lives so that they have impact on our world. So that our moments with the king change our course and even change the course of human history. Today, as we look at God's providence, we'll see how God ordains and directs your lives, our life together, in order to have influence for good for the world and for God's kingdom. There come time and places in our lives that our our relationship with the living God has to impact the decisions we make in in significant ways. And God ordains those particular times. One time that's mentioned in uh, the Hot Off the Press was a a little girl in Chile. And uh, her uh, name was Martanya. And Martanya was 12 years old. She lived on a little island 400 miles off the coast of Chile. And one day it just felt funny to her. She felt something shudder. And she, she started bugging her dad about it. And dad said, okay, I'll call grandpa. And grandpa was on the continent. And so he called grandpa and Say, well, yeah, Chile had just had an 8.8 magnitude earthquake. Well, the, the daughter, Martanya, heard that. She looked down at the little um, at the bay and the, the waves and the boats, and she, in that moment, acted. She ran down to the bay. She started ringing the emergency bells. Now, the emergency bells had a certain cadence you were supposed to ring them by to tell everybody. She had no idea what that was. She just knew, go and ring them. And so others started ringing, and on that island, 400 miles off the coast, 600 inhabitants, they started gathering their stuff and started moving to high land. And then they waited, and Martanya wondered, had she made a fool of herself? Had she acted too quickly, or had she done what she needed to do? And she waited, and then the waves came. Up to 15 feet high, the waves came, uh, bringing water a 1,000 feet onto the island, destroying all the buildings on the shoreline. And because of her sight, intuition, and action, of that 600 people living on the island, only five were killed. Little girl saves hundreds. Our story today is the book of Esther, where a young woman saves thousands. And and now these are grand stories, hundreds and thousands, but examples of how God works in our lives, providentially, for good. Now, uh, The story of Esther, it's a short story in the scriptures in the uh, Old Testament. And I encourage you, if you haven't read it, to take time um, this week to go and read it and get all the details of 
this story of how God's providence puts this woman at just the right place, at just the right time, so that when she acted, she saved thousands. Now, just to give you a brief summary, the main characters in this story are, are Esther, um, Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle. Uh, he's the, the caretaker. Esther's parents have died, and so Mordecai takes care of Esther. There's the king, and then there's also Haman. He's one of the king's servants, and he plays a role. There's other folks as well, and a whole lot of other details that I encourage you to go look at as you... Uh, um, during the course of this week as you read again the story of Esther. Again, it's a short one. You can read it in one setting. But the king, um, he, he's the king uh, over the land from India all the way to Ethiopia. So he's a powerful man, and what the king wants, the king gets. And the current queen at the time forgot that, and she decided she was going to try to do what she wanted, and the king didn't like that, so she was exterminated. And the king said, let's have a beauty pageant. And let's get all the young virgins in the area so that I can repopulate my harem. Now, you know, we say things like harem and queen and those kind of things. And that's a ni- those are nice words, nice church words that you can use. But really, what he was saying is, I need new sex slaves. That's really what she was. That's what the queen was. They were there for the king's pleasure. And the moment they didn't meet the king's pleasure... They were exterminated. So that's the scene that Esther then is in, this this beauty pageant. And Mordecai, he hangs around uh, the the king's palace. He makes friends with the servants and the folks that are taking care of Esther. And this takes months and years. And they feed them and perfume them and all the rest. And they have their beauty pageant and other activities, and the king says, you know, Esther, you're the queen. Yeah, and, you know, I guess in that day, that's a, that's a good thing to be the queen. I mean, you didn't have many other options as a woman under this king in Esther's day. But she was then sort of the head sex slave for the king. And while... Uh, Um, While she's there in that position, Haman, one of the king's servants, he decides he does not like the Jewish people. Now, Esther's kept that quiet, hadn't told anybody that she's Jewish. But Haman says, you know, I don't like Jews. They don't worship me. They don't worship the king like they're supposed to. And so he gets mad at them and he goes and talks to the king and says, King, let me tell you about these Jewish people and what they do. I think we need to exterminate them. Okay, that'll be fun, the king says. I'm adding a little bit here. But so he writes an edict and says, "Here's what we'll do. Anybody on this day in the future, anybody that wants to to destroy and kill the the Jews, they can, and the Jews are not allowed to defend themselves." And uh, he writes that edict, sends it out, and Haman is just tickled pink about this. Mordecai, on the other hand, is terrified when he hears now. Esther, she doesn't hear that. She doesn't get to watch the news or read the newspaper or anything like that. So she has no idea what's going on. And so then the Mordecai comes to the servants um, at the, the king's palace and he is distraught. He's rent his clothes. He's been weeping because of this edict and all that's going to happen to him and to his people. I mean, they're going to be destroyed. And so he sends word through the servants, to Esther. Esther, do you know what's happening? 
This is the edict the king has done. You have to do something. You've got to stand in, in the gap for us. You've got to intercede for our, on our behalf, on behalf of your people. Well, you, you get a little bit of the king's personality and his power from the story so far. And so that's not something that the queen doesn't just get to go in whenever she wants to. The queen only goes when she's summoned. The, the queen, and if she goes in and she's not summoned and the king's having a bad day, she then is exterminated. That's where we pick up our story. Uh, they, they've had a little bit of this interaction uh, through the, uh, the servant, and Mordecai and Esther are talking, and now we're going to hear Esther's response in her conversation with Mordecai. It's in Esther chapter 4, starting with verse 9. Found on page 388 of your pew Bible, if you want to turn there, or whatever means you have the scriptures in. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word that speaks to us of your truth. Open our eyes, open our very soul to see you, to hear from you, and to live for you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Esther chapter 4, starting with verse 9. Now, now Hatak is one of the, uh, is the go-between, is the servant of, of Esther who's been the one sharing the messages between um, Esther and Mordecai. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. So Esther's reminding Mordecai of the situation and that she'd rather not be the intercessor at this time. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything 
as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Critical moment here. A critical moment in the life of Esther. Does she truly believe God is in control? Is she going to act believing that God indeed is providential over her life, over the life of her people, over the the life of the king, over the life of the world? It's our question, too, in our lives. Maybe not on such a grand scale, but is God's providence more than just a fancy word that we name streets and cities after? Is it truly an active element in our lives that God, according to God's providence, by God's providence, He has orchestrated details, circumstances in our own lives so that we are where we are, when we are, at just the right time, just the right place to accomplish God's purposes. Yes, you and me. Is God that big? Now, I mean, this this story, I hope you got a sense of this story. I mean, it's not nice, neat, and clean. I mean, this is messy with a capital M, messed up with a capital M and U, and downright terrifying. So, So please, if you've heard anything in this series as we've walked through the providence of God, it is not that God therefore promises that we're always going to be nice and happy and safe. That is not the purpose of the sovereignty of God. But it is the purpose, because of God's sovereignty, then that we are free to be agents of God's love and and beauty and justice and righteousness in our world, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the cost. That's the purpose of God's sovereignty. That we are free to be agents of transformation according to the beauty and goodness of God's kingdom. A couple things that just jump out to me as I spend time in this particular passage and as I continue to meditate just on the providence of God. That that faithfulness to God is more important than safety. Faithfulness to God is more important than safety and our own personal happiness. Esther, she had the chance here just to play it safe and be unfaithful to what is true and what is good, what is right. Or she had to step out in faith, take a real risk, and be faithful and true to what is good and right for God and for others. Faithful, because of God's providence, faithfulness to God is more important than our own safety. And I think you hear that in Esther's final words. When she says you know, at the end there, you know, if I perish, I perish. You almost want to add there, at least I do, but I know I'm doing what's right. If I perish, I perish, but I know I'm doing the right thing. Also, because of the providence of God, faithfulness to God is more important than personal success. 
Because of the providence of God, faithfulness to God is more important than personal success. I mean, Esther, in her age, in her day, she'd climb the ladder. I know, it's not a great ladder, but it was the only ladder women had. And she'd gotten to the top. She had done what she needed to do, and yet it wasn't her only that had done it. God had allowed her to be placed there for a greater reason than just her own personal accomplishment. God had put her in that position for the great phrase in Esther, for such a time as this. Because of the providence of God, Faithfulness to God, more important than safety, happiness, and personal success. Now, I'm going to ask the um, ushers if they'll distribute to you a little yellow sheet of paper. And as that's uh, coming out, it's just a little uh, discussion help um, for you. Because I want us to, to think about Esther and apply it in our own lives. I want us to, to learn from our own successes and our own failures. Okay, these are the, the, the questions that are on the sheet of paper. And I hope you, you use these this week. Maybe this could be the topic of lunch or the topic at dinner or sometime when you have family dinner or you have dinner with a, a group of uh, folks this week or meal or sometime. You know, ask one another and ask yourself some of these questions. When were you in a position like Esther and you responded like Esther? You know, your situation doesn't have to be as grand as Esther. I mean, very few of ours are. It may be simply just that, that God puts you in a place and a time to have a conversation with another. And, and that conversation turned spiritual and, and you had a, a decision to make. Are you going to enter in to that conversation and share how Jesus was with you? Or are you just going to start talking about the Reds? It could be something simple as that. But when were you in a position like Esther and you responded like Esther? Now, let, share, get in touch with that yourself and share that with others. Uh, secondly, let's learn not just from our successes but also from our failures. When did you have an opportunity like Esther and you didn't act on it? It's okay, it's okay to, to, to name that. You're, you're not going to tell God something God doesn't already know. And just, you know, be honest. We all wimp out at times. You know, and we, and we can learn from our failures. You know, and again, it's not a grand scale. can be a simple thing. You know, I remember uh, I was uh, at a swim meet and reading a, a Christian book. And a, a person I know came up and asked me, so what are you reading? And I wimped out. Uh, oh, nothing. Yeah, I, I, no, I didn't, just didn't say anything because I was on my way out and just wasn't in the mood and I wimped out. You know, the world didn't end. You know, and it's good for me to reflect on that failure so that next time I'm better prepared. So, so we learn from our successes and our failures. When, or, when were you having an opportunity uh, similar to Esther and you didn't act on it? Again, note too, you know, God is not thwarted by my failure or yours or Esther's. 
You know, did you catch Mordecai when he, when he told Esther, listen, you know, don't, don't think that you're going to be able to save yourself. Because I, I want you to know, God's not going to let his people be destroyed. So if you don't do it, God will raise up something else to do it. But the opportunity is for you to do it now. Did you catch that in the passage? All right, and then, then finally, and the final question to look at is, where are you now? Do you have any opportunities brewing for you to make an impact on your world? You know, you just got a sense that maybe God has put you in this place at this time for such a time as this. Be attentive. Be alert to that. It may be at work. It may be at home. Maybe in your community, in your neighborhood, in your classroom, on the playground, in relationships. Is, is, is God's providence at work in you now? And you're aware of that. That for such a time as this, you are where you are right now. Take those questions now and in this week and let the Lord speak to you on that. You know, a couple other things, just as we uh, you know, wind up looking at this particular passage of God's providence at work in our lives, using us to make an impact uh, for God's kingdom where, where we are. One is recognize Esther didn't act alone. You know, if it hadn't been for Mordecai, I don't, well, she wouldn't have known about it. And then she wouldn't have been supported, encouraged, even prodded along to take a step of faith. And Mordecai couldn't have done it. He couldn't have done anything if Esther had not been where she was. So we don't act alone. You know, I'm reminded of another modern-day Esther Rosa Parks. You know, Rosa Parks and Montgomery bus boycott. She refused to stand up from the bus to, to give her seat to a, a white man. But do you know, we tend to you know, glorify her, but do you know, she was a part of a much larger group. You know, her, her own pastor, E.D. Wilson, a number of other folks around um, uh, that with the NAACP had been working with her, and, and they'd been talking to one another you know, the, the, about the injustices and the uh, oppression of their, their people. And she's like, how do we address this? What do we need to do? But it was on that day that then the, the encouragement and voices and strength of others that then... She decided to take a seat. So, so we don't do it this by ourselves. We need one another to strengthen one another, to encourage, support, and help. And most importantly, we need to have a living, vibrant relationship with the providential, sovereign God. We must depend upon Him. This is from... Uh, Rosa Parks' um, book, uh, A Quiet Strength, uh, a quote she talks about on that day. She says, When I sat down on the bus that day, I had no idea history was being made. I was only thinking of getting home. But I'd made up my mind, after so many years of being a victim of the mistreatment my people suffered, not giving up my seat. And whatever I had to face afterwards was not important. I did not feel any fear sitting there. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. It was time for someone to stand up, or in my case, sit down. So I refused to move. You see the same thing with Esther, right? I mean, she knew that. 
Then she said, okay. I've chosen, I'm, I'm going to act in faith. Yes, God's providence has put me here for such a time as this. And now you've you got to go, Mordecai. You've got to get everybody to fast and pray for three days. We've got to be sure we are in a line with what God is doing in our midst before we act in such a way. We need one another. And we need God. To be at work in us. As he has providentially arranged us to be in certain places at certain times with certain folks. To accomplish God's purposes for good. And I charge you not only to think about that with the questions I've given you for yourself. But to think about that for us as a church. Now, why has God placed us now? Kept us here for 160 years in this place and for this time. What, what is the, the providence of God to have us here and now? I'll tell you one thing, that as a, as a church in an urban setting, you know, we have a lot of people, energy, and resource. And there are a lot of needs around us. If nothing more, we see from the Trayvon Martin case the need for racial reconciliation to continue. Yeah, we've come a long way and we've got a long way to go. And there's no other place that's going to happen than in the church where we are one in Christ no matter our differences. We are in a city, you know, that's the seventh poorest city in the country. We're in a city that, that ranks 270, 650th out of 728 when it comes to moving out of poverty into the middle class. Yeah, that's wrong. And, and God has placed us in this city with, with the resource and energy to, to address that and the, the needs and the concerns in urban ministry in our community. Be a witness unto Him. God's providence means for you, for me, and for us that we are in just a place at just a time to accomplish God's purposes for good. May His Spirit be at work in you, in me, in us so that we will take with Esther those, those risks those steps of faith when he has placed us at just the right time to be an influence for his kingdom. Amen.